Good morning. Welcome to this service of the Houghton Wesleyan Church. We're happy to have you all with us this morning. Please stand for the call to worship. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what are we that you are mindful of us, human beings that you care for us? You made us rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under our feet all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is with thanksgiving that we look out on the beauty of your creation this morning. Those of us who sit in this sanctuary are so grateful for the sunshine and the warmth. We've been trying to be patient all spring. And finally, we see your creation beginning to bloom again. And for that, our hearts are so grateful. Help us to be mindful of all that you do for us, Lord, through your world. And help us, Lord, to praise you today. In your name, amen.
Amen. What a glorious uh, beginning to our worship this morning of giving praise to our glorious God. We're so glad that you are here today. Let me uh, invite you, encourage you to take a moment and share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. It is great uh, to uh, see you, to welcome you to this worship today, those of you here in the sanctuary and those joining us on streaming. Uh, we also want to, uh, want to make you aware of a couple things. There are some inserts in your bulletin uh, and other things in the bulletin as well. One of them is about Children's Church. You have an opportunity to serve our little ones throughout the summer. If you are interested in that, uh, you can fill out that form, drop it in the offering plate a little later or hand it to uh, me or one of the pastors as you leave this morning. It, it is one of the ways in which we nurture the faith in our children that is so important to who we are as a church. The other insert is about uh, next week. And next Sunday, we'll be honoring our college graduates. A few of them will be sharing in each of the services. And uh, we have a, a time of prayer for them and uh, some small tokens, gifts to, to them to take with them. But also, uh, we're hosting a potluck after that, uh, honoring the graduates, but it's for all uh, college students and all of us who are not college students to come and be a part of that. If you're uh, interested in, in coming, it would help us just in planning. If you just tear off the sheet, you can also drop that in the offering plate or hand it to me as you leave this morning. Uh, we uh, anticipate just a, a good time of fellowship together during this uh, next week. And I also want to just take this opportunity to express uh, gratitude, Cindy and I, toward uh, you as a church. Uh, we feel uh, very supported and loved after the vote last week. Thank you very much. Uh, we, it's hard to believe sometimes that uh, we've been here for 22 years, and it's been exciting and growing and challenging. And we look forward to the next years together of serving Christ in this place. And we, we love you. We sense your love for us. And uh, we are just excited about uh, these coming days as we work together and serve together for the kingdom of God in Houghton. Thank you. Trying to remember what John said last at the other earlier services. Um, the youth group has a you know wide range of activities. Uh, Andrew Poole is going to share a little bit about one part of those, and that, just a thank you for all of your support for them, and your love and your encouragement to them in many ways, to your gifts to the church as well as your time and energy and effort. And uh, Andrew's going to share about one of those moments, events. Hi, my name is Andrew. Um, I have been attending youth group for about three years now. Uh, youth group is important to me because it has given me a chance to learn about Christ with my friends and my peers. In two weeks, we'll be participating in World Vision's 30-hour famine. Uh, can you please play the video?
So on May 4th and 5th, we'll be fasting for 30 hours, and we'll be doing project work around the church. Our goal this year for 30-hour famine is to raise $4,000. To reach this, we're asking you to give at least $40, which will feed one child for a month. Uh, make checks payable to World Vision. Two other things we are doing for 30-hour famine are on Friday, May 4th. In the evening, we'll be collecting food items in Houghton. On Saturday, May 5th, there will be a car wash at the church from 1 to 4.30 p.m. So look for us on Friday and bring your car to church and help us reach our goal of $4,000. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate that. Uh, I do want to, uh, again, express uh, gratitude to Pastor John and all the people who work with the youth group as well as to uh, our youth. Uh, they, they are a terrific group of young people. And uh, this engagement, engaging in this 30-hour famine, I mean, it's a big thing to, you know, to go without food for 30 hours. And yet it connects them with the world, and it connects us with the world. So thank you in advance for your help and your support in this project.
Today's Old Testament reading is taken from the second chapter of Genesis, verses 4 through 25. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow of, of grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic, resin, and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman." For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me as we sing the doxology before our tithes and offerings.
pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for all you have given to us. Help us to never forget that it comes from you, from your hand of blessing to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us grateful hearts enough to share what you've already given to us for the furtherance of your kingdom. In your name, amen. It's a wondrous thing to contemplate our God of grace and of glory. Think about the greatness of God who is glorious and full of grace to us. It is that grace that brings us to this time of prayer together. It is because of God's grace that we can freely come to him and acknowledge our need for him. And so I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Eternal God, giver of every good and perfect gift, we bow before you, acknowledging our corporate sin and our need for corporate forgiveness. In this past week, as your people, we have doubted your goodness. We have pursued the idols of wealth and possessions. We have lusted for power. 
We have spoken harsh words and ignored people who are in need. We have spread gossip and listened eagerly at the misfortune of others. Most grievously, we have been consciously and subconsciously negligent to give thanks for your blessings. As your people, forgive us and lead us in the way to everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you that when we pour out our hearts to you in confession, you do indeed forgive us. And so in a spirit of being forgiven, we come asking for your grace upon not only us, but upon our world. We thank you, Father, for your grace among people and to people who are grieving today. We think especially of Dan Moore and his family grieving his mother's death, the family of Hudson Hess, and for others among us who feel the, the loss and the pain of death most acutely. Give comfort and peace and grace. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with illness, issues of health. We pray especially for John Christensen, Leonard Watson, for Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Tim Nichols, Bob Brown, for Louise Princell, Nancy Cole, for Brian Orbacher and Peter Lingenfelter, for Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, for Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, for Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, for Beverett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds today, and we pray for your healing grace to each of them. We pray your grace upon our broken relationships that you might heal and restore them. We pray for your grace in our homes and ask that you would help us in whatever our home looks like to be a place where you are first. We pray, Father, that you would be present in our dorm rooms and our apartments, in all of our lives, our places of work, all of the places we go in the interactions of life. May you be the center of all of it. Father, we thank you for this church and for all of the ways you are at work here. We thank you for our youth group, for Pastor John and others who lead and help and serve. And for each one of the, the youth in the group, may your blessing be upon them. And may this 30-hour famine be fruitful for the world and for them as well. We thank you for churches around us. We pray for St. Mark's Catholic Church in Rushford and Father Dennis. Pour out your spirit upon this gathering of believers as they serve you and serve one another. May they serve their community and the world. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray, Father, for uh, people who are still recovering from tragedies and disasters. And this week, again, Puerto Rico affected even more. We pray that you will bring answers and you will bring help in every situation. And may your people be a source of hope and help. We pray for the wider world. Bring peace to places of war. 
bring security to refugees. Bring your grace to your church. We thank you for the work that Corey and Chris Steed are doing in Haiti. We pray that you will continue to bless their ministry and as they transition to the States for some time, may it be restorative. And as they connect with family and friends and supporters, may that too encourage them. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Venezuela, this country with, that you deeply love and yet many issues and struggles. May the church be a place of of healing and hope. Give the pastors and lay people of the churches in Venezuela strength and courage to be your witness. Father, thank you for your many blessings to us. Thank you that in every moment of life, those we cherish and those we would rather avoid, you are with us. Help us to see you. We thank you for hearing our prayers, and we offer them in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen King and our reappearing Lord, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our New Testament reading this morning is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come in like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. As I mentioned last week, we probably have a wide variety of thoughts about heaven. Some of them are biblical. Some of them are probably more cultural. But they're in our minds no matter what. And as we talked last week, at the center of, of the eternal existence that God's people have is allegiance to Jesus. That we are not called just to a, a point of decision and then do what we want, but we're called to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. But there's another element to that whole idea of allegiance to Jesus as the, the center point of heaven. And that is what Peter brings up here in the second, chapter, second letter that he writes. In this letter, he's writing about the end times. He talks in the passage we read about the, the day coming unexpectedly, like a thief. And when you get to verse 13, he says this, But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth that God has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. In the version that we read, uh, Goody read, it talks about a place, righteousness dwells in heaven. The word that's, that's used there, that, that translated dwells, lives, it can also be translated home. You think about what home means to us. Now, we may have positive feelings about home, we may have negative feelings about home, but when you think about what you wish home would be, home is the place where you feel comfortable, safe. Home is the place where you, you feel like you can be yourself. When you're, when you're home, if you want to wear sweats and a t-shirt all day, you can. You know, when, when you're home, you can eat supper on the couch instead of at the table if you want to. When you're home, you can take out your contacts and wear your glasses that you don't really like. And when you're home, you can be yourself. You shut the doors. You don't have to be on. You don't have to make appearances. You don't have to be a certain persona. You just be yourself. And at the core, that's what being home is. And when Peter says that righteousness is at home in heaven, he's saying it is comfortable there. And why is that? Because righteousness is really a synonym for God. Righteousness is the nature of God, the essence of God. No wonder he says heaven is at home. Righteousness is at home in heaven. Everything about our eternal existence with God in heaven will be what God wants. It will be God's mind, God's priorities, God's desires, God's yearnings, God's will. God will rule. And the, the thing about that is God rules now. The difference is now people fight it. Those who are in that eternal existence with him embrace it. It's all that they want. 
Everyone who is there wants what God wants. And that's why Lewis can write in The Great Divorce that there are people who, even given the opportunity to be in heaven, don't want to be there because it doesn't offer them anything that they desire. Because heaven is about God's desires, and so much of us is about our desires. And sometimes we think, well, I'll live for myself and my desires and self-interest. And then when the day comes, I can flick the switch. It just doesn't work that way. We want what we want. And righteousness is really the essence of God's will being brought to all of its fullness. And people who are righteous are people who want that. At the very core of their being. When we think about God's righteousness. And and if you you trace it through the scriptures. You find that the righteousness of God is very holistic. We tend to think of righteousness as rules and regulations. And these these standards that, that we are supposed to live up to. We think of it as, as sort of like writing a, a paper on, a, on the computer, a document, and you justify the margin, and it's straight. And we think of perfection as righteousness. And there is certainly a yearning for that. But at its heart, there is this holistic sense of the world being as God created it and intended it to be. That's really what righteousness is. It is setting things right. And so in heaven, everything that is broken and twisted and turned will be set right the way God always designed it. And people who are righteous want that. We want God to set it right the way he designed. And it's sin that keeps us from wanting that. But the day is coming when that will be the case. And that means that creation becomes what God intended it from the beginning. In that day, the flowers that we see now are a glimpse of the the vibrant flowers that we will see then. And the glimpses we get of the lushness of grass now is just a precursor to the amazing, indescribable lushness of the grass in that day. It is, it is all of God's creation coming to its fullness, being restored, not just to what it was in Eden, but even beyond. And people will be made fully human. Disciples of Jesus, people who want what Jesus wants, people who are made righteous, will not be less human, we will be more human. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a couple of weeks. But it is, it is bringing us to the fullness of how God created us to be. Because, because sin doesn't make us more human. Sin makes us less human. It's sin that gets between us and another person and damages our relationships. It's sin that brings shame and guilt on us. It's sin that holds us back from being all that God created us to be. It's righteousness. That makes us and moves us to what God always intended for us. And so when you think about that and what that existence will be, 
And you put that in the context of Colossians chapter 3 that we've been talking about where Paul says, think about the things of heaven instead of the things of earth. Shape your life around the things of heaven and the designs of heaven. That means that if heaven is described as the place where righteousness dwells, then we want righteousness to dwell in us and in this place as well. It's sort of the answer to our prayer that we prayed a few moments ago, that God's will would be done, his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to be righteous people. To want that, to desire that, to shape our lives around that. So that when God speaks, we do what God wants. When God says go, we go. When God says stop, we stop. When God says obey, we obey. Whatever God desires, that's the yearning of our hearts. And we know how often we fall short of that, but that's the yearning of our hearts. That's our desire. And when we begin to desire that, then we become the people, the church, that God intended us to be. In Acts chapter 1 God, Jesus says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses. You will bear witness of me and my kingdom in this world. And righteous people bear witness to the righteousness of God. And that means we become a presence for God in a broken and needy world. We become hope in the midst of despair. We become life in the midst of death. We become grace where there is none. We become truth where the world is all about lies. We become the presence of righteousness, this holistic mindset of healing and grace and love and mercy and truth that is is at the core of God's being and his kingdom. We become agents of righteousness. Agents of God's flourishing, his design for his creation. We, start, we become people who give folks a glimpse of the eternal kingdom that is called by Jesus good news. What I have in my mind is, I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what the commercial was about. Maybe I've, that, I'm finding that more and more to be the case. I don't know about you, but I watch a commercial. I'm entertained, but I have no idea what the product was. I don't know if you have that experience. But, but it was a commercial where the screen was just covered with a black and white drawing. Just, just a, uh, a design all the, over the screen. And it was just this design as the person in the background was talking. Very bland. And then a drop of color is placed in the bottom corner. And that color begins to grow and spread until the whole screen is vibrant with reds and blues and greens and yellows. And it just comes alive. And that's the image that I have of righteous people. God's agents of righteousness in this world. That we bring color in a world that is drab because of sin. And we bring hope and we bring healing and we bring grace. So that when we, when we interact with someone, there is a sense of them encountering something, a glimpse of God's great, glorious, flourishing kingdom. His righteousness. 
We struggle with that. We struggle to be that. I believe it was the philosopher Nietzsche who said something like, you Christians are going to have to look a whole lot more redeemed if you want us to believe anything about your Redeemer. And I think there's some truth to that. Do we bring that holistic righteousness to bear on the places we are and the people we interact with? It's the calling of God's people. I heard about a woman who said to some friends, my son feels like he's being called to be a pastor in the ministry. And their response was, oh, I'm so sorry. Your son was always such a happy, joyful person. I'm sorry that that's happened to him. There is this mindset that we have about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And even more so, what it means to be a fully committed follower of Jesus. A full-on disciple of Jesus. We have given the world this impression that that's a negative thing instead of a positive thing. And yet, we look at Jesus. And the people flock to him. And when people interacted with Jesus, they left better than they came. They left transformed and changed because of their interactions with Jesus. I think there are some hurdles for us that we have to overcome in order to to be these kinds of agents of righteousness. And one of them is we need a new vision of the eternal kingdom. We will never be the agents of righteousness who bring this kind of holistic flourishing to the world until we come to believe that our eternal existence is about holistic flourishing. Peter talks here about fire and destruction. And we often think that that means God is going to, he's going to obliterate this earth that he made and everything on it. He's going to start all over again. But when you read that in the context of all the rest of Scripture, I don't think that's what Peter's saying. I do think he's saying that fire, which often in Scripture is used as something to purify and to cleanse, I think that's what he's talking about. That this world of sin and evil and brokenness is going to be purified. And God will restore and renew into this new heaven and new earth in which we will exist. This earth that is so much better and so far beyond what we can imagine as we live in this broken world now. Because when sin entered the picture, the world didn't get better. The world didn't get more colorful, more vibrant. It got less. And God's going to restore that. And we need an image of that. An image of this holistic flourishing of God's kingdom so that as we embrace that, we begin to embrace it now. And so many of our images of heaven and of eternal life are quite frankly not all that appealing. As a kid, you know, I got to be honest with you. When I thought about heaven, it was the most boring thing I could possibly imagine. And I think that had a bearing on my desire about following Jesus. When we think, when we create an atmosphere, a picture of eternal life that is boring, what we're really saying is that God is boring. And actually what we're saying is that sin is what's exciting. If you really want to live, sin is the place to be. 
That's what will make life exciting. God, not so much. We've got the whole thing turned around. Sin doesn't make life more exciting. It destroys life. It's at the heart of what it is, of evil. And when we read the news and when we listen to what's going on in the world, all of the crime and the, and the wars and the violence and all these things that trouble us, those are not the result of righteousness. That's the result of sin and evil. And we need to get a grasp of the bigger picture of God's kingdom. But I think in order to do that, we need the mind of Christ. We need to be witnesses of this kind of righteous flourishing in the way Jesus does. And that means we think like Jesus thinks and we do what Jesus does. I was thinking this week that when Jesus comes to earth, in essence, what he's doing is he is is leaving the place where God's righteousness is perfectly experienced. Everything about Jesus' existence before coming to earth is in the perfection, the perfect fulfillment and and desire of God's will and purposes. And he leaves that to come here where God's will and desire is continually debated and abandoned and rejected and hated. And why would he do that? Because God's will is abandoned and rejected and debated and hated. It's for that very reason that he leaves that place where it's so right and comes here because he wants to make this place right too. And to bring redemption and flourishing and life and hope and transformation. To bring the truth to us. And that means it's to be, to bear witness to the righteousness of God, to be agents of righteousness. You have to get with It has to be incarnational. You cannot do it from a distance. I had a professor in seminary, a counseling professor, who used to tell us there are two things you can't do by correspondence course. One of them was counseling and the other was swimming. It's just hard to do those things by correspondence. You can't be agents of righteousness by correspondence. You've got to get in. You've got to get into the mess. You've got to get into the places where, where the righteousness of Jesus needs to be seen. And what we want to do as a church is to sort of build a fort around ourselves in this perfect place, as if we believe that. But in this place where, where all of us have the same wants and desires and we just, we're just safe. And there's a place for us to do that. But the purpose of doing that to coming together is so we can go out. And to begin thinking as we encounter people about, about seeing them the way Jesus does and being involved in them, in their lives. And loving and caring and sacrificing and giving. Because righteousness is never about self-interest. It's always about self-sacrifice. Because that's the mind of Christ. But I'm not sure we'll ever have the mind of Christ 
until we begin to really engage ourselves in the means of grace. The means of grace are these ancient things that God has given to the church to help us experience him. Things like prayer, personal prayer, private prayer, and corporate prayer. This reading and the study of the scriptures privately and corporately. Giving of our resources, serving other people, giving ourselves away to people in need. Corporate worship. It's a big part of that. We come together on Sundays and other times so that we can sing our songs together and remind ourselves of the truth and pray together and hear the truth proclaimed. And, and all of that is to, is to be the means of God's grace to be at work in our lives so that we can then go and be agents of God's righteous grace to a needy world. We sometimes use the term spiritual disciplines. And it's, it's kind of talking about the same thing. But for me, the word spiritual disciplines almost has a sense of, of a rule about it. That, that we're, we're, we're checking off a box if we do these things. Means of grace speaks to me as a way of opening our hearts to receive what God wants to give. But we have to do it with a want to. You know, we, we can read Scripture from beginning to end and we can pray all hours of the day. But if we do it with our teeth clenched and our, and our, and our fists clenched and, and, our, and out of not really wanting to do it but feel, feeling obligated to do it, we will find minimal results that God wants. What He wants from us is a want to a desire, a yearning to be righteous, to be what he wants us to be, to be fully what he created us to be. That's what God designs for us. And if we have a want to, he can work with that. And it can be glorious. In February of 1915, Frank Laubach and his wife arrived in uh, Davao, on the uh, Philippine island of Mindanao. They went as missionaries to share the gospel with a, a village of people who were in desperate need, injustice, and, and it's a lot of, of burden, poverty, and, and most of them were culturally Muslim. And they went into this village, and as they lived with the people and, and worked with the people and began to understand the people, it became evident to Frank Laubach that in order to share the gospel with this, these people, they needed to, do, he needed to do something about their illiteracy. It was a barrier to hearing and understanding and progressing in the gospel. And so he created literacy programs for the people of the village. And, and, and he had this motto, each one teach one. And as people began to learn a bit more, become a little bit more literate, he, he put, set them off to teaching somebody else because we all know when you have to teach someone, you learn probably more than the students you're teaching. And it worked. And, and, the, and it began to grow and expand. And, and as he spent time with them and as they learned, many, many people came to Christ. 
But it wasn't, it couldn't be limited to Mindanao. It began to spread to the other islands of the Philippines and then it began to spread to other islands and nations around them until it was going around the whole world. Frank Laubach actually was quite a famous person. In fact, I just discovered this week that he actually was on a 30 cent U.S. stamp. He was that well known. And he said that he, he got to the place of, of, having this vision of God, of God's righteousness and flourishing for these people because he lived his life thinking about Jesus every moment. He started out, he said, by just noticing that there were little gaps in his day, sometimes minutes, sometimes seconds, sometimes longer, when he did, had, when his mind really was disengaged. And he said, I took advantage of those moments to think about Jesus. When I had a few seconds, I directed my mind to think about Jesus. When I had a few minutes, I directed my mind to think about Jesus. When I had longer periods of time, I directed my mind to think and meditate about Jesus. And he said, pretty soon, it was just sort of all of my existence. It's like every moment was a moment to think about Jesus. And he said, it was when that began to happen that I began to see these people differently. And to love them and to care for them. And to be a presence for Jesus in their lives. Frank Laubach died in 1970 at the age of 85. And he and his wife were buried in their hometown, a cemetery in Benton, Pennsylvania. And on the tombstone it says world missionaries. Because his fame spread around the world. His program spread around the world. But many people refer to Frank Laubach as the apostle of literacy. That's how most of the people in the world think of him. But there are, there's a tribe of people, a group of people in the Congo who have a different nickname for him. Think about the Congo. From the Philippines to the Congo, that is a long ways. But they had been so transformed by his witness that they came up with their own nickname for him, and it was this. They called him the Mender of Old Baskets. The Mender of Old Baskets. And when I read that, I thought to myself, that is an agent of righteous flourishing. Because isn't the gospel about being agents of mending what is broken? Being agents used by God to bring about change and healing and hope where there is none. About transforming what is torn and twisted and misunderstood and making it new and bringing life to it. And it makes me think, when people think about my life and your life, how are they going to describe us? Father, thank you for being a God of righteousness. Thank you for your work in us to make us righteous. Give us grace to be agents of righteousness through your Holy Spirit. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.